If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to the end of Genesis, Genesis 49, we'll be actually mostly in Genesis 50, as we're looking at the final words of this incredible story of Joseph. Uh, The story that we have been making our way through for the last several weeks, but these aren't just the final words of uh, Joseph's story. They're actually the final words of the book of Genesis and kind of very specifically how God wants us to, to leave this book, knowing that he is sovereign over all things, that he is faithful, even for the brokenness in your life, even when the world means things for evil. There's such good news about our God that, that he has a way, and only he can do it, of working all things together for good. For those who love him and called according to his purpose, what great joy is ours. And final words are always important. I mean, the, those last words, uh, that last will and testament, if you will. I know that I do this whenever I'm about to travel, right before you, you flip your phone over to uh, airplane mode. I always will have that one last group text to my family. And it'll always say basically the same thing. If I die in a fiery ball, and I don't know why, but every time I say fiery ball, make sure, and you want to tell them a couple of last minute things. I mean, and again, I don't believe that this will be the last words, but I'm on a plane and you never know. And things like love your mom really well, you know, look after one another. And then just kind of that last minute uh, explanation of, hey, I love you. I had the privilege of, of uh, being reminded of a more real life of that, those last words was when I had the privilege of meeting one of the heroes of the tragedy that, that recently happened in our community. I was an Eatonville police uh, man who happened to be one of the first on the scenes, uh, the first into Pulse. Uh, and then when he went into that nightclub, being one of the first ones there, he, he texted his wife and he texted his oldest child, who was 18, and just kind of said, goodbye. I don't know what's coming on the other side of this, but those last words. Imagine, uh, by the way, his cell phone would wind up dying and not, and, and he couldn't get back to his family, let him know that he was okay until he showed up at the house. Can you imagine reading those last words? Uh, just wondering, was this really it? Well, Final words are supposed to be able to put all things in order. If someone tells you, if a doctor tells you, put your household in order, what does that mean? That means that you're going the way of all flesh. What does that mean? Well, you're checking out. What does that mean? You're going to die. And so these are your last words. Uh, Put your household in order. And this morning, we're going to look at uh, a patriarch named Jacob. Uh, Joseph's a big part of the story, but this is really Jacob's final words. It's his, it's his family wish list. It's the things that he wants to tell his family one last time. It's interesting. It's how a father wants to bless his sons and his daughters and his family. Those are those last things. If we remember this story, this, this story, this is a family of God story. But what are we seeing? This is from dysfunction to reconciliation. And it's been God who's the one who's sovereignly reigning over this. I mean, God has done incredible stuff through this broken family. Does that not give you hope for your broken family? And so finally, in these last few words, we see a reconciled family and a father. And here's where we're going to see three things. We're going to see the custom fit blessings of the father. A father who gives blessings each individual for each member of the family. We're going to see God's unalterable grace. 
God's grace doesn't fail. Do you know that? You need to be reminded of it. I know I do. Let me tell you again. God's unalterable grace. We're going to see it clearly and beautifully. And I hope and pray that we'll all say, amen. Thank you for that reality. And the last thing we're going to see is God's rightful place. God's rightful place in his story and God's rightful place in our lives. As we read this conclusion of this story, I've asked Christy Gambrell to come and read God's word for us. Uh, she and Dave will have a rose uh, soon on that, that table as well. Christy, thanks for opening up God's word for us this morning. Good morning. We'll be starting in Genesis chapter 49, verse 28. All these are the 12 tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with the blessing suitable to him. Then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field at Machpelah, to the east of Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it were bought from the Hittites. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for it, for that is how many are required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him seventy days. And when the days of weeping for him were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak in the ears of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, I am about to die. In my tomb that I hewed out for myself in the land of Canaan, there shall you bury me. Now, therefore, let me please go up and bury my father, then I will return." And Pharaoh answered, Go up and bury your father as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father. With him went up all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his household, and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as all the household of Joseph, his brothers, and his father's household. Only their children, their flocks, and their herds were left in the land of Goshen. And there went up with him both chariots and horsemen. It was a very great company. When they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, they lamented there with a very great and grievous lamentation, and he made a mourning for his father seven days. When the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, saw the mourning on the threshing floor of Atad, they said, This is a grievous mourning by the Egyptians. Therefore the place was named Abel Mizraim. It is beyond the Jordan. Thus his sons did for him as he had commanded them. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field at Machpelah to to the east of Mamre, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. After he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt with his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph, saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. 
But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years, and Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. The children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall surely carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Thank you, Christy. Let us pray together. Oh, Father God, for your glory and for the health of the church, would you come with the power of your spirit, and would you be the storyteller? Because this is your story. And you tell it to us in a way that brings you glory and transforms us to be more like your son, the hero of your story. So God, would you give us ears to hear your voice? Would you give us minds to understand your word? Would you give us hearts to embrace your love and your truth? And would you give us feet to walk in a manner worthy of your name? And God, the things that are said that are merely my opinion are wrong. May those things fall away and be forgotten quickly. But the things that are said that are true, that contain the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, would you use those words to make us more like your son, our Savior Jesus? And it's in his holy and matchless name that we pray. Amen. In your bulletin, you'll find an outline if you want to follow along with me. And the first thing we're going to see from this marvelous text is that through Jacob, Jacob is going to give a custom fit blessing for each one of his sons. And the reality for each one of us is this, is that custom fit blessings of the father to us, that God has made you, you, and he's made you exactly the way he wants you to be, you. And he's gifted you the way he wants you to have gifts. And he's withheld some gifts from you. The beauty of God's creation is this, is that every single one of us is made in God's image. But every single one of us is uniquely gifted by God. He doesn't want to be like anybody else. He wants you to be like you. When I first made that transition, that transition from being a 10-year youth pastor to a new senior pastor, there was a blessed friend in our congregation who every year would buy me a new suit. And it wasn't like he took me to Dillard's or he took me to the mall. He invited me to his place of worship, place of worship, place of work, because it was there that his own tailor showed up. And he said, Jeff, Taylor's coming to town. Time to get a new suit. And I'd go there and we'd look through the swatches and the different uh, types of material. And I would pick out a pattern that I liked. And then it was there that they would custom measure all parts of the body that would fit on a suit. It was incredible. A few weeks would go by and then 
there in the mail would arrive. I had a suit, not off the rack, not just like a suit that you would buy for you, but a suit for me. And the best part about the suit was inside on the label inside. Do you know what it said? Custom made for Jeff Jakes. I wanted to wear the thing inside out so everybody knew. Right here. Do you know the guy had the audacity to move? After about seven years of this wonderful tradition, he moves and I stop wearing suits because you can't fit them anymore, right? But I gotta tell you, it felt really incredible to wear something that was custom made for you. The incredible blessings of God and how God blesses us as God, as Jacob blessed his sons where they were custom fit for them. The word when it says that, that Jacob blessed his sons according to what they were, their needs. He, he blessed them according to what he saw fit. It really could be translated this. Each according to his blessings, he blesses them. The reality is this, is that God gives to you and just to you some individual blessings that, that he wants you to have. That he wants you to have in a unique way to tell his story through you. Individually. That's a reality. A reality that he's going to bless you unlike he's blessed any others. And he's going to bless you the way he sees fit. I got to tell you the truth is, I always don't like his individual blessings. How about you? Do you ever long for someone else's blessings? Do you ever long for someone else's life? Do you ever long for someone else's stuff, their house, their job, their career, their fame or whatever? And I'm embarrassed to tell you, but the most of my longing for other blessings are longing for other pastors' blessings. To sit here and look across town and say, well, yeah, well, look at that church. Look at the leaders they have. and Look at what they have there. And instead of seeing what God has just blessed me, and he has. What about the mirror? The mirror often tells me all the things I don't have. Often points out the, the flaws and the brokenness. And yes, God has individually gifted us, and sin has affected all of that. But the reality is, is you, you gotta know this about your great God. He blesses you individually. They have your name on them, and they fit you. And He's given it to you for a reason. But it's not just individual blessings, it's family blessings. If you look through Genesis 49, we didn't read it all, and you read through the blessings he gives to each one of his sons, they're, they're not only custom fit for the son, but they're also custom fit for the family. That the God, the God is blessing, as Jacob has shown us, the family in certain ways that we fit together. And what does that mean? That, that God not only individually gifts you, but he gifts you for fitting into this family, his church family. He knows what he's doing. I love what scripture says. Uh, Paul will say in 1 Corinthians 12, repeats it in Romans 12. He says this about the family of God, that each and every one of you have unique gifts. And each gift is of importance. And for the gifts that seem insignificant, they seem so small, they're so important because they fit in the family. Here's the point. For God's family to be God's family, for God's family to do what God's called us to, he's gifted you. He's gifted you for us. He's gifted you for one another. Did we all have a part to play? Okay, let's look at VBS. VBS is coming tomorrow. And some of you are really gifted with kids and some of you aren't. But the point is that we all should be involved in one way or other. How has God gifted me to be a blessing for the church? 
And how has he gifted me to be a blessing right here, right now? Don't you think for a moment that you're expendable? I'm telling you, the only way for us to function as God wants us to function is we function together. We're connected. I need your gifts. You need mine. And together we make something beautiful. It's called the body of Christ. In the summertime, when we get away, we, we play cards and we almost always play the same mindless game. It's called Fantan. We, we learned this game through a exchange student in Australia. So I'm not sure if it's an Australian game or not. And it's, it's basically a game of you just want to get rid of all the cards. You pass out all the cards and you kind of build bridges. You start with a seven of diamonds and you start with sevens and you build. And I'm not going to explain any more than that. But the whole point is this. The first thing you do before you play the game is you count the cards. Because if you don't have 52 cards, if you don't have, if you have one card missing, it doesn't work. It just doesn't make sense. And then the reality is this, is that God has passed out the cards. He's given you what he has individually, but also as a family. But there's even more. But he's done that so that together we could be a blessing to the world. That's the point. As he finishes up Genesis and he comes to the conclusion, he's basically saying, my creation, my intention is still being fulfilled, that God created us to reflect his light, his beauty, that we're to bring light into darkness, that we're to bring order into the chaos, we're to bring beauty into the void. That's who we are as God's redeemed people. That's who we are as a family. So God's saying, individually, I'm blessing you. They're custom made for you. They fit just you. But he's done it in a way that it fits in family. But watch this. He blesses his family to be a blessing to the world to bring the blessings of the world. That's why the church has to cling together and fit together so that the world can see Jesus. In the end, we also have to see there's something beautiful in this story. When, when Jacob is passing out blessings to his children, there's one who gets this incredible blessing that's rising to the top. And his name is Judah. And if you remember the story, Judah and the story of Joseph, he starts off horrible. I mean, Judah's the one who suggested, let's don't kill him, let's sell Joseph into slavery. It's Judah who's really done some really bad, perverted sexual things. Judah had a lot of junk in his life, and God starts redeeming Judah. And Judah is on the rise. You see that Judah is going to be the one who stands in in Benjamin's place saying, take my life and not his. It's beautiful. And at the end of this blessing, the final words, you see that, that Jacob's going to turn to Judah and says, Judah, you're going to be king. And Judah, you're going to have the scepter of kingship. And through you, all people will be blessed. Kind of interesting final word. But you know why he did that? Because that's God's unique, beautiful plan. Do you know who comes through the tribe of Judah? Do you know that lion from the tribe of Judah, the, the lamb of God who was slain? You know who comes from the tribe of Judah who's going to be the king of kings and the lord of lords? It's Jesus. And so even here as the story starts to fold, you start to see Judah emerge as one who will reign and bring a blessing. We see that the hero of the story is going to be Jesus. It's beautiful. All the blessings that God gives to us are only realized individually, corporately, in the world, in Christ Jesus. That's where the blessings flow through God's Son. The second thing we see is this, is God's unalterable grace. That circumstances don't change the grace of God. How about his brothers? How about Joseph's brothers? When the dad dies, how do they act? They they don't believe that Joseph is going to treat him kindly. 
They don't believe him. Joseph so far, how's he treated them? Are you kidding me? He's lavished love upon them. He did not bring them sin for sin or a tooth for a tooth. I mean, he's been so gracious to them. Remember, he would fill their sacks with grain. He returned their money. Joseph has been providing, 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 providing. A change in circumstances. The dad passes away, and all of a sudden, the brothers start to fear this Joseph guy. Is he really this gracious? Is he really this nice? Remember what they said? They said, well, maybe he's going to like bring evil on us. Maybe he's going he's to remember our sins, and, and maybe he's going to treat us differently. Here's what you got to know. The grace of God is unchanging, unalterable grace of God to his people. Circumstances, listen, circumstances don't change or defeat God's grace. Circumstances don't change or defeat God's grace. God's not going to see something happen in your life. Say, oh, oh, they finally did it. They crossed that line. They finally acted that way. I'm going to stop loving them. I'm going to stop forgiving them. I'm going to stop journeying with them. I'm going to give up on them. That is never has been, never will be your God or my God. God's unalterable grace. God will forgive. God, God desires to forgive more than we desire to sin. Let me remind you what 1 John 1, 9 says. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Did you hear that? We are forgiven our sins, past, present, future. When Jesus said it is finished, you know what he meant? It is finished. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. There's not one condemnation. Every single thing that we have done that deserves God's wrath has been absorbed on the cross through his son. And he's not going to look down through life one day and say, "Uh uh-uh, you crossed the line. That's going to now bring you condemnation. That's now going to bring you separation. That's going to make you disqualified. God's grace is unalterable to his people. And that is so good news. Not only will he forgive, and he will always forgive, continually forgive. He will always provide. What were they worried about with Joseph? Is he, is he not going to provide for us? And what does he say in verse 21? Do not fear. I'll provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Do you trust your father? Do you trust your heavenly father? I mean, do you, do you trust him to provide for you? I mean, has he not come through in some area in your life and there's one hole in your life you're praying for? He is, and do you really trust him to provide? Let me ask you this question. How much of your life do you live in fear that God's really not going to look out for you? He's really not going to meet your needs. That somehow his arms are going to go short or somehow his heart is going to start to fade. Somehow he's not going to provide for you. How much time are you wasting wondering about your God? Is he going to provide? He will. When Kate and I were uh, newly married, we lived in New Jersey. I worked in New York City and uh, my in-laws came up from Florida. We, we met them in Washington, D.C. Uh, my father-in-law, my mother-in-law, especially my father-in-law, well, he was a huge Japanese art buff. And the Smithsonian's were having a certain era of Japanese art coming to the Smithsonian Institute. And they invited us to meet him in Washington, D.C. 
you got to understand, he loved this stuff. He loved this enough to sell his law practice, his house, and move there. I mean, so this was, we were going to go up, and it was going to be a great time. And, and I can't remember the name of the hotel in Washington, D.C., but it was one of the fanciest hotels that I've ever been to. And they said, meet us in the restaurant at the hotel. And so we, we got there. Uh, someone took our car somewhere. We walked to the front desk, and, and they asked me for a credit card. I had one credit card. It had a $500 credit limit, I remember. And I handed it to him. Oh, man. Here you go. Are they going to know that I don't belong? Are they going to look at me and say, okay, yeah, gig's up. Go look at the Motel 6 down the lane there. I was nervous, and somehow it went through. And we, we met my father-in-law and mother-in-law in the restaurant, had a great meal, and we went up to our room, and we closed the door. And you know how they sometimes have the rates of the door on the back side of the there? And I think they put the highest rate they could charge you. But I remember closing the door, $250! I'm in trouble. We're supposed to be here two nights. I did my math. I have a $500 credit limit. I have stuff on it. Maybe one night... So I went and I called my in-laws from the bathroom phone because there was a phone in the bathroom. <laughs> and I called them. They're so nice. I said, listen, I got to tell you, we, we can't stay here. We're going to go over into Arlington, find another hotel. And they were great. They were great. They're so like, oh, no problem. They were trying to give us space. No problem. Okay. All right. That's, that's fine. Then they asked the question, is everything okay? I said, I got to be honest with you. I just, I just can't afford two nights here. They said, well, we're paying. And I said, well, we're staying. <laughs> and where is that room service number? And, and again, just the freedom of knowing. It went from, I can't afford this place. I'm afraid. I, I can't do this. To the fact that a father provided. And it, it, just the freedom of a father providing. The unalterable grace of God is he will provide for you. There's not a payment that you're going to have to all of a sudden pay. There's not a bill that's often going to be yours. The incredible grace of God. Now listen, he provides what he knows we need. And we sometimes will say, God, provide me this. And he says, no, no, that's not the right time or that's not the right thing. But we have the privilege of walking by grace and knowing that our God, our Father provides. We also have to realize that we don't need a mediator to go to God. You know what Joseph's brothers did? It's terrible. They didn't go to their brother directly. They sent somebody else. They wimped out. They got afraid. And so they sent somebody else to go, go, go and see. Go, go and tell Joseph that, that now that dad's dead, tell him that this is what dad really wanted to do. You know what it's like? It's like somebody going in to the will and testament being read by, by a lawyer or somebody. And all of a sudden you want to say, well, listen, I found another document. This is what it really says. Be nice to me. And they send somebody else. I think he wept because he's like, you guys not get this? You guys not get grace? Do you not get provision? You have to send somebody else to talk to me? Your heavenly father loves you so much, he doesn't want anybody else to come. And through the work of Christ Jesus, you have every right to boldly go. You don't have to wonder, is he going to just smack you down for entering into his presence? The beauty of the gospel is this, is that holy God bids us to come. And in Christ Jesus, we freely and joyfully come. And we have the right to come. You don't have to come to a pastor. You don't have to come to a priest. You don't have to come to another saint. That you and I, 
by the grace of God and the work of Jesus can come. But what we really, really can't miss is this. His brothers wanted to act like slaves, not sons. They forgot the grace of God to the point where they basically said that we're your servants. We're going to bow down and, and, and forget this brotherhood thing that, that now that we are your servants, be nice to us. But the unalterable grace of God, the, the unalterable grace of God never wants us to act like slaves. The work of Christ sets us free to act like sons. And that was Christ Jesus has done for us. You remember the story of the prodigal son. Probably should have been said the prodigal sons, but the younger one that that goes away and he takes the family wealth. And what does he do? He squanders it. And how does he squander it? On prostitutes and reckless living. And he finally comes to his senses and he finally realizes that, my goodness, in my father's household, the servants have more than enough. I'm disqualified from being a son. I've messed up the family name really bad. I've burned up the family inheritance. I am not qualified. So I'll go home. I'll go to my father. He's a good man. And I will plead if I could become a slave. Let me just live as a servant in your household. And you know this story. If you know the Bible, you know, what does the father do? The father sees him from a distance. The father would have absolutely none of it. The father is going to run. A father is going to run to a broken son, a rebellious son. And when the son pulls out his apology and he starts to go over and he wants to say, I'm disqualified, treat me like a slave. The father says, no way. Put the robe on my son, put the family robe and make sure you get the family ring on my son. This is my beloved son. Kill the fatted calf. We're going to party. This is my son who is dead. This is my son who is lost. He's been found and he's alive. The unalterable grace of God that never for one nanosecond does God want you to live like a slave. Wondering if you're loved and free. He wants you to live like a son, like a daughter, like an heir of Christ, a part of God's royal family. Because you ready for this? That is who you are. In Christ Jesus. You see, this crazy thin sin thing makes us wonder, is God's grace really going to change because of circumstances? Is he really going to provide? Do I really have to live? Can I live like a son and not a slave? And then lastly, the rightful place of God in the story. Joseph says in 19 and 20, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? For you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. We got to say a couple things on this. This is the first thing. It was evil. It was evil. It was evil for his brothers to sell him into slavery. It was evil. It was wrong. It was awful. But God had a plan. That included good. Now let's put that in our context. What happened at the Pulse nightclub was evil. It was wrong. It was horrific. Awful. But we know that there's a sovereign God and that there's there's good that has already come out of this and that somehow he's going to bring good. But I got to tell you, we cannot miss the evil. And if we think as a church that we need to go and tell people, well, God meant it for good. We've missed it. We've missed it. 
Because we're to mourn with those who mourn. We're to weep with those who weep. We are to mourn over a broken world and, and, and the consequences of sin. And here's the reality. You know the consequences of sin. Many of you sit here and you know that evil was done to you. And evil was done to you, some of you, at the hands of those who should have loved you most. It was evil. It was wrong. But God. But God. But God. Even in the midst of our sin and the world's brokenness, God is sovereign. God is in control. God's light shines. God's story wins. And that's what he's saying. My story's going to win. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, walk by faith. Because why? You ready for this? You'll never walk alone. You could look back through your life and say, I felt alone. (laughs) I felt abandoned. But the reality is, if you're a child of God, you will never, ever, ever walk alone. Ever. I think the biggest thing is putting God in the rightful place of the story is that, yeah, he is, he's the one who's reigned over all this thing. They went from dysfunction to reconciliation. Why? By the grace of God. Joseph went from prisoner to the number two man in Egypt. Why? By the grace of God. Because God was with him. God is the hero. God is the storyteller. God is the one. But the question is this for us. Is God in the rightful place of your story? Because most of us live our lives trying to have God fit into our story. God, come fit into my story. Let me make a God of my own image. And let me make a God of my own choosing. God, come and fit in my story and bless. But God says, no, I have something so much better and so much more. I'm not called, God would say, to fit into your story. You're perfectly called to fit into mine. I've given you blessings that are custom fit. I've made you a part of the family. I want to bless the world through you. And we have the privilege of giving up on this tug of war, asking God to fit into our stories and to live with the beauty that we fit into his. That we could walk by faith. That we could walk not as slaves, but as sons. Knowing that he loves us, he forgives us, and he provides for us. And what an incredible story he wants to tell through us. We know that Romans eight twenty eight is true. And let's end with this. God in his grace causes all things, all things to work together for good for those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose. Your life story, your life brokenness, your habitual sins, God says, I'm working on them and I'm working on them for good in my glory. Let us pray. Father, thank you for showing us our hero, your son, Jesus, through the story of Joseph. Thank you that you don't give us these stories to tell us to work harder and to be more like Joseph, but you tell us this story to be more in love with Jesus. God, we thank you that you, because you're a good father, have given us custom fit gifts and blessings that you in Christ Jesus give us unalterable grace that's not conditional. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. And God, we thank you that you will not fit into our stories, but that we beautifully fit into yours. God, may we be a people that put you in the rightful place as King of kings and Lord of lords, 
over our life, over our church. For your glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.